Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 156 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing the TV series Hannibal, about the cannibal psychiatrist Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who first appeared in the novels Red Dragon and The Silence of the Lambs by Thomas Harris. And this will potentially involve spoilers for season one and two of the Hannibal TV show, as well as the first three episodes of season three, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and also the series editor of Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He's also edited many other anthologies, including the recent books Wastelands 2, Operation Arcana, and The End Has Come. So, John, welcome back. Thanks. I've taken off my person suit, and I'm ready to talk animals. <laughs> and also joining us today is Kat Howard, making her fourth appearance on the show. Her short fiction appears in Lightspeed and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and her novella The End of the Sentence, co-written with Maria Devana Headley, was named one of NPR's best books of 2014. Her debut novel, Roses and Rot, will be published early next year. So, Kat, welcome to the show. I am here by my design. <laughs> and also joining us today for the fourth time is Teresa DeLucci. Her Game of Thrones reviews appear on Tor.com, and her Hannibal reviews appear on Boing Boing. Follow her on Twitter at TDeLucci. So, Teresa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. I'm going to spoil everything on Tattle Crime. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and so Teresa has been encouraging me for a long time to watch Hannibal and talk about it on the podcast. So, Teresa, let's start with you, and have you just tell us a little bit about the Hannibal TV show and why you're so excited to talk about it? Okay, first, it's an understatement that I've <laughs> just been asking you to watch the show for a while. I really have been bugging you, and I appreciate <laughs> that you took the time to watch the show. Um, what I really love about it, well, I'm just a fan of Brian Fuller in general. I loved Wonder Falls. I loved um, Pushing Daisies, this magical, realist, whimsical, beautiful show. And then Hannibal is the, the flip side of that coin. It's equally beautiful, but it's everything dark, so dark, tortured, psychological, but still that sense of whimsy to it. Um it's not a police procedural, which I appreciate. It doesn't try to be Silence of the Lambs. Mads Mikkelsen is an amazing actor who I've loved for a long time. Um, I saw him in Valhalla Rising, which was uh, from the director of Drive, where he played this existential Viking, and he's just been incredible in everything ever since. So it was really great to see him on this show. Uh, playing Dr. Lecter completely forgot about Anthony Hopkins' performance with, by the end of the first hour. And I loved Will Graham. I loved the nods to classic horror movies, cult movies, the artsiness, the gore, the women. You know, it's really a worthwhile show. And that's why it's getting canceled. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to that, let's say a bit more about the show. But uh, you, you said that it, it has some nods to classic horror movies. Uh, could you give us an idea of what kind of, what are some of those? Well, well, when, you know, just in the art direction, production design, Brian Fuller is super savvy. In the first season, there is an episode where um, they track a serial killer to a very distinctive green hotel room, number 237. It's the exact set piece from The Shining. Hmm. Um, there's a scene in season two, which is probably my favorite, 
where a certain character is getting her um, uterus removed and the surgeons are all wearing red scrubs, just like Jeremy Irons' characters in Dead Ringers. You know, David Cronenberg, body horror, like what a great subtle nod, um, but so visually arresting. You know, he knows his stuff. He knows who's been in this territory before and really amping it up. Cool, cool. And so, uh, Kat, uh, what do you think? Are you also a big fan of Hannibal? Um, well, I came to the show sort of uh, in a roundabout way. I had um, I had seen the movie The Silence of the Lambs, and I absolutely loved it for the dynamic between um, Hopkins's Hannibal Lecter and Jodie Foster's Clarice Starling. I just the relationship between the two of them I loved. Um, and then I read the book. Um, I didn't read anything else, and I am not a person who does very well with a lot of gore and horror on television, and so I didn't watch the entire first season until after the second season had started, when I finally just sort of hit a critical mass of people I trusted saying, no, this is a really good show, this is a really good show, you should really watch this, and you'll be able to handle, you know, the the gore, because it it doesn't, it's not torture porn. It doesn't revel in the violence or anything like that. I mean, yes, there's violence on the show. This is a show about somebody who kills and eats people. Um, but it's done in this terrific, stylized, as Teresa said, gorgeous way. And so it's almost, it's surreal. It's nightmare logic. It's not, I mean, it's not comforting watching at the end of each episode. I feel like I have been wound up like that guy that got turned into a cello. <laughs> um, but I also, it's so stunning. It's so beautiful. Um, and I really got hooked into it because of the visuals. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in the classic horror films or things like that. So I've missed those nods. Um, but I think the thing is, is that even though I don't have that background and I don't know that, I can still very much appreciate the show as an absolute utter work of art. Well, that's interesting. You said that you saw the movie Silence of the Lambs and read the book. How would you say that the Hannibal Lecter character in this TV show compares to the Hannibal Lecter in the in that film and in, in particularly in the book? Um, I wouldn't say it compares in terms of like let's do a beat by beat, um, you know, comparison between the actors portraying them. I think both actors do a very good and very different job um, in portraying the character. But there's some of the things that come through Hannibal's intelligence, um, his ability to manipulate people and his way of being at the same time he's manipulating and you're watching him do this still being extremely compelling like you you have to watch you want to talk to him you can you can understand why these people continue to have these relationships with him even after they've learned what he is um, and i find that absolutely fascinating to watch hmm. well and how about john uh, just overall what do you think about the show Oh, well, I mean, I love it. And, uh, you know, like Teresa and Kat were saying, it's, it's just so visually beautiful. Um, some of the tableaus they construct for the, you know, showing this, the, the serial killers, uh, you know, handiwork, uh, the various serial killers handiworks. Um, it, they're just so visually arresting. Like, you know, uh, it's one of those shows where I just really want to get my wife to watch it. And I, I, I haven't been able to convince her. I mean, she's sort of a tough sell on, on sort of anything to do that even kind of smells like a police procedural, even though this one isn't, as you guys have said. Um, but, uh, it's like, I feel like if I could just get her to see some of the beautiful visuals, like I could hook her, but it's like, she's only like heard the dialogue as, as she's like walking by or in the kitchen or something. And, and, uh, and it's like, no, you gotta have the full experience. You gotta witness all of, like, I mean, if, if I could just get her to, to, to watch Hannibal prepare some food or something, I think she'd be on board, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's so creepy, but it's so beautiful, you know? Um, 
uh, you know, Kat mentioned she'd seen Silence of the Lambs and read the books. And so, yeah, I, um, so the Silence of the Lambs was actually a really important movie to me. Like, I felt like it was like the first movie I saw as a sort of a, I don't know, like a teenager that I felt like it was like the first adult movie I watched and I actually really, um, appreciated it and, and really was fascinated by. Um, and so, you know, I saw the movie and then I read the book and then I read, um, I read Hannibal the book and I read Red Dragon. Um, and then I've, I've seen those movies as well. And I, I haven't seen Hannibal Rising, the, um, that more recent movie, but, um, so that's my general background with the series. Well, it's interesting, John, because yeah, the Hannibal Lecter character is certainly best known from Anthony Hopkins, uh, Silence of the Lambs adaptation, but they actually don't have the rights to that, to Silence of the Lambs to make the show. They have the rights to Red Dragon. Right. And so they're allowed to use any character who originated in Red Dragon, but they can't use any characters who originated in Silence of the Lambs. So they're not allowed to use Clarice Starling, for example. Um, actually, I'd never seen Red Dragon. I just watched it literally just before we started recording. Mm. Oh, and, yuck. Uh, and, so, and so, well, I was, I was going to say it was interesting watching it after watching the show to see, you know, what they how they in the show tweaked various things. But Teresa, do you want to say why you're why you're saying yuck right there? Ugh. <laughs> because Manhunter was such a superior adaptation of that book. Um, in fact, I just watched it again over the weekend, just kind of on a whim. Um, and, you know, it's directed in like 1986. It was Michael Mann who did Heat. And it was just such a tightly wound story of a man. Um, Will Graham, Will, William Peterson played Will Graham in this. Gave him that real like empathy. Thing, but not in a supernatural way like on the show it's more just he has really seen some shit and he's dealing with it very hard and then he you know gets pulled back into the job you know all the characters are there and I just thought Manhunter was staged so tightly and again like visually arresting like the Tooth Fairy's living room in Manhunter looks like it came out of a Hannibal set and I can't wait to see how they touch on that later on there's something very surreal about it um red dragon anthony hopkins by then hannibal had become you know like this cultural landmark and he became kind of like a cartoon character between hannibal hannibal rising and then this remake of red dragon where he comes in to the dining room with like the chef's hat on it's so like winky winky i found it like really terrible and manhunter is superior and almost every way like the man who plays the tooth fairy it's frightening joan allen's in it um dennis farina it's really good i highly suggest checking it out if you can yeah well now i wish i'd watch that one instead so, <laughs> but, but but our listeners they can learn from my my mistake and they can go watch manhunter instead of red dragon well and now that makes me actually want to revisit it because i've only i only saw it once and i saw it years ago and, and it was at a time in my life where i don't know that i would have been ready for uh you know, watching a movie that like had interpreted these characters that I had grown to love from Silence of the Lambs and, you know, had all different characters and different, you know, different approach to the storytelling and everything. I don't know if I would have been as open to that. Whereas now it's like, I, you know, obviously I've seen lots of that over the years and maybe I'd be more open to it. I will say it aged really well, except for the wardrobes because it's <laughs> 1980s, like Miami. No, <laughs> I can never see our Will Graham, like Hugh Dancy in hot pink short shorts and like turquoise skinny ties. <laughs> that was the only thing that took me out of the movie. Huh. Well, it, it's, it was interesting to me though that, that this Hannibal TV show is, is essentially a prequel to Red Dragon. It sort of takes, 
basically the um the prologue scene from that and expands it into this whole multi-episode TV series with the premise that that, that Will Graham uh has <laughs> has Hannibal uh, as his psychiatrist, which I think is a really interesting idea and, idea and I think is as far as I know, that's an original take on those characters' dynamics, right? That didn't appear in any previous iteration of the Hannibal Lecter character? Not like that. No, I mean, in Red Dragon, you know, it, it was like a little couple of sentences. Like, he had captured Dr. Lecter and was visiting him in jail to get some information on this new killer. They also talk about um, Garrett Jacob Hobbs in Red Dragon a little bit too. So they really expanded all of those characters hugely, especially with Abigail. There was really no Abigail Hobbs. Mm. Has, any, has anyone seen Hannibal Rising? Like, do, do they cover that in there at all? Because um, that, that is a prequel, not, you know, to... That is a prequel, but they haven't touched on it yet, except just this week's episode uh, introduced us to, like, Hannibal's stepmom. Uh, I have to look up her name. Lady Mora... Murasaki? I yes, have to yeah. look it up. She was just introduced in this past week's episode. So they're really messing around with like the order of things, but still giving nods to all those characters. They haven't given us a flashback sequence. I, I listened to an interview with Brian Fuller, and he said basically that they had decided to completely change Hannibal's backstory because, in fact, uh, Thomas Harris had basically he had a gun to his head to write that backstory in connection with mm -hmm. one of the movies, mm -hmm. and he was never really happy with it, and so they felt free to just, you know, uh, do their own take on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. I know that they were looking for, they were trying to court David Bowie to play Hannibal's uncle who took him mm -hmm. in. So if I couldn't get Bowie, I would, you know, chuck all my plans to come <laughs> up with something else. Yeah, I really, I really like though that they they took that approach of like you say, like basically taking the prologue to Red Dragon and, and turning that into the TV series because like I I love that idea of of Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter like sort of working together to solve crimes like because it just sounds so great, you know, like I mean not like in a buddy cop way, but it just sounds so fascinating when you know like what the relationship is like, you know, later in the story. Um, and, uh, I kind of wanted that to, to, I wanted to preserve that longer on the TV show. Um, but I, I got to give props to the, to the creative team though, for, um, for having the guts to, to go ahead and set up that great premise and then to take the show in this other direction, you know, to not constrain the narrative to keeping everything within that box where it's like, you know, oh, let's, let's string out Hannibal and Will working together for a little bit longer. And they, you know, so. Uh, having the courage to actually do something like that where you basically change the, completely change the dynamic of the show, um, that's really courageous. Uh, ultimately, that, that may have been part of why, uh, they had a trouble finding enough of an audience to stay on the air. Cause it was, you know, a little bit challenging for audiences to figure out what the show was. Well, that's interesting, John. I mean, cause when I first started watching the show, I, I was a little bit turned off by the, like, serial killer of the week episodic format. Because I'm really much more into stories with continuing arcs these days. And so as it got, as it turned more into that, I, I got more and more interested in the show. Um, but I'm just curious if anyone else had that reaction that it just seemed a little bit um, sort of typical at the beginning. Um, I, I don't know if I would say that I found it typical. And again, I sort of binged watched the first season all at once. So I had a slightly different viewing experience. I think it might might have frustrated me a little bit more if I had been watching that season week by week, like I did with the second season and like I am with this one. Um, but I think what it, it pulled in those threads of once it started picking up the threads of, oh, you can see the larger picture developing um, 
And I think that there is always, because these characters have become so iconic, in particular Hannibal, there was always that sort of longer thread of, we kind of know where we're getting eventually. And so how does that happen? And so there was always that unweaving beforehand that I found really interesting of sort of trying to watch and see, well, when does, you know, when, when do things unravel? When do things start happening? Um, and so that was really the, the, the idea that we're watching the part that comes before the story that we know is really fascinating to me. Right. I mean, like, Teresa, did you, did you fall in love with the show instantly or did it take a while? Was there, was there a moment where it really started to grab you? It, it did take me a little bit. It took me, you know, like I said, like that first hour to really get Mads Mikkelsen and frankly understand his accent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I still have problems understanding what he says. Yeah, I actually watch it with the subtitles on. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to at this last season, particularly. Um, but I did feel like I loved it right away. And because I knew it wasn't going to be a procedural, and it wasn't going to be killer of the week for too long. Um, I will say when I really fell in love with the show was when they introduced uh, the human cello. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, Tobias, like the Hannibal's patient's like evil best friend. You know, when they started bringing in like another serial killer who kind of got who Hannibal was, that's when it was more interesting to me because I'm like, okay, how much like cannibal innuendo? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I I just want to clarify, I didn't necessarily want it to stay as like serial killer of the week, but it was just like the relationship between Will and Hannibal is so great, like. And, like, having them have their therapy sessions and stuff. And, like, they developed this, like, real, like, bromance thing going that they had going. And it's just, like, that stuff was so great. Like, I, I just, I, like, love when, like, you know, when Hannibal's telling Will to draw the clock. And, and you know, he draws the clock and it's all, and, like, Will thinks it's normal. And then, but then it's actually all, like, askew outside the lines and stuff. It's, like, I, I love all of the interactions that, like, led to all of that. So I just kind of, I guess I just kind of wanted, I wanted to preserve that a little bit more. But I mean, I totally understand why, you know, they needed to take it, you know, outside of that. And uh, I mean, I can't complain with the directions that it went. I mean, like season two is amazing, um, you know, when, you know, everything sort of gets flipped around and, and Will's the one in, in jail and, um, or, you know, he's, he, he's, a, he's now a, a, cr- a suspected criminal instead of uh, an investigator and, and, and all that. So. Right. But we all agree, right, that, that Hannibal is the, the coolest character and the reason that people love this show, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh, yeah. nobody, nobody disagrees with that, right? Oh, no, no. No. If only, if only to hear him utter those wonderful lines, like, and, and in that amazing accent, uh, I mean, you know, admittedly, like we were saying, it's maybe sometimes a little bit hard to understand him, but I mean, he has so many amazing lines. It's just like, I love to like hear him talking, like, like these, these complicated constructions that he says and, and, and everything. It's, it's just wonderful. Like, um, actually, have have you guys seen the Hannibal at the Zoo Twitter? No. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so, so funny. I mean, actually, I guess recently they changed. I don't know when it was, but uh, I looked at it today and now it's Hannibal at the mall. But it's cool. <laughs> uh, uh, so so it's like, you know, if you've watched the show, like you can appreciate that on a different level. I'm, I, I imagine it's probably still funny, even if you haven't. But if you just if you read those tweets in um, Matt Mickelson's voice, it's just like it's so perfect. Um, oh, here, I'm looking at it right yeah. now. Oh, please read one. Some suffer for want of a Cinnabon. Others <laughs> suffer having eaten one. <laughs> Mongols live for centuries among the ruins of Volga, Bulgaria. What legacy awaits the cell phone store where the pizzeria used to be? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just, he's such a compelling character. Just, yeah, the, the way he dresses and the way he talks and the way he fights and the way he cooks. Yeah, the, and the fight, like, God, the fight at the end of season two, that's, that's such a beautiful, wonderful Ugh. fight. Like, wow. like, I can't even, I can't even think of like another, like, just one-on-one fight like that, that I can compare it to where it's like, um, you know, I can't think of anything that, that's like, just felt like more realistic and visceral than that. Like, that just felt like two people really fighting each other. Um, even if Hannibal sort of, like, I don't know, maybe he seems like he has like super abilities that we didn't realize he had, but, uh, but that was su- actually like really cool to see. Cause it's like, you know, everything else he does is so exceptional. Why should we be surprised that he can also, you know, throw down? Well, and the, the thing that I really loved about that is, you know, they, they, you know, when you, when you're writing, if you put in a fight scene or something like that, it's supposed to be something that advances character, advances emotion. It, you know, it really isn't supposed to be just because you wanted to write a bunch of people hitting each other. Um, and the thing that I, I loved about that was it really, you could see the characters reacting emotionally like they would as that character in the fight. Like it was, you know, as, as scary and, you know, everything else as it was, it was also just the heartbreak of the emotion and things like that. And the way, you know, the way that he, t- that the Hannibal touches Will Graham's face before he guts him. And it was just like, your heart is breaking. And yet, and, and I just felt like they did such a good job of really teasing out. It's one of the things that I love about the show generally is it really is a full, complete experience. Everything is there, the emotion from the actors and the writing and the set decoration and the music and just everything comes in to make it just, yes, this is all the pieces right here. I found, though, it was a little weird because as the show went on, I liked Hannibal so much (laughs) that he became less scary to me because I was like, Oh, he can kill those people. I don't mind. You know, he's, <laughs> he's so nice, you know? And like just the scenes where he's sitting there when Will's in the um, mental hospital, just staring at Will's empty chair. And I'm like, Oh, he's so lonely. He misses his friend. Poor him. <laughs> <laughs> his friend that he put in the mental hospital, but that's a minor detail. But I mean, did anyone else have that reaction that, that he became less scary and more like adorable? <laughs> I don't know. As the, as the show went on. Well, you know, he eats the rude. Um, but, but I think that's part of it. I think it's, I think what they're doing is, you know, he, he is able to manipulate the people around him so well and so subtly. And I think they're just sort of expanding that and letting him manipulate us too. I mean, Teresa, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I find on this show, he's kind of more, um, supernatural or preternatural he's like this melancholy aristocrat like Lestat you know so I don't think of him quite as fuzzy and adorable in a way but (laughs) I like his you know his friendship with Will that relationship I mean it's a romance that's what makes it fascinating to me and that's why he's become such a part of Will and Will has become such a part of him you don't want them to break up yeah they're they're a perfect couple in a way. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, Brian Fuller said that Mads Mikkelsen told him when he first was sort of trying out for the role that he said he didn't want to play him as a psychotic killer as he'd been played in the past. He wanted to play him as Lucifer, as this fallen angel, basically. Mm-hmm. And I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah, he totally got it. I mean, you know, he's like the 1%, you know, um, and we're all like the 99%. Hannibal is like, aspirational while he looks down his nose at us but we kind of get it because he's such on like a different plane of existence from everybody else yeah actually uh that that reminds me of one of my favorite lines which i think it was just like in the recent episode where 
uh, Hannibal's sitting at a table with uh, Abel, and they're actually they're they're both together eating Abel's like leg or something, you know, part of his mm-hmm. body. <laughs> and he says, "This isn't cannibalism, Abel. It's only cannibalism if we're equal." Yes, exactly. It's like so perfectly encapsulates what Hannibal is about. It's like I just love it. it, it yeah, and and I mean that's. Yeah, if if I wanted to try to convince somebody to watch the show uh, with a single line, it would be with something like that. Because, like, how could you not want to watch a show that has a line like that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, Teresa, you mentioned in one of your emails to me that this show has a massive female uh, fan base. Could you talk about that? Oh, yeah, hugely. The fanable fandom, flower crowning, like, the whole thing. Um, you know, it's surprising you know, you'd think, like, given the nature of the show, like, based on the Thomas Harris novel with the cannibals, it became such a huge hit with the female audience. And I think part of that started on Tumblr. Because the show is so visually arresting, it's easy to take different images from it and repost them, reblog them, and build a fan ring around it. So it had like easy marketing built in there among that community. But I think what really draws female fans to it is this romance between two beautiful male leads with, um, you know, they have a chemistry in a certain way. Will has more chemistry with Hannibal than he does with Alana Bloom, you know? Um, you know, so you have that element like Will and Hannibal are always almost kissing and they have like a weird, creepy foursome scene and, there's this connection between the two of them that is like a love and it's a different kind of male male relationship than you might see. So between that, like, like the worthiness of images for social media. And then you've got Freddie Lowndes, who is a blogger now, you know, in, in uh, Red Dragon, it was a man. They changed the sex, made, you know, Freddie be a woman and she's a blogger. So I think she just kind of struck a chord, like this stylish, smart um blogger you know being on this popular tv show i think it struck a chord with some female fans and they that like the freddy fandom is strong you know on on her own i always feel so bad i i, I feel like you know freddy's a blogger so she's probably not getting paid that well and she's taking <laughs> so much risks all the time i just feel yeah. like you know and she's dressed so impeccably <laughs> like what blog are you oh, on? Clothes. Oh like how God. do you sell those ads how do you sell that much advertising <laughs> Right. Well, Bloom, and where uh, do you buy your hats? <laughs> uh, Bloom was also uh, gender flipped from the book too, wasn't it? Wasn't uh, wasn't Bloom right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and in in the book, uh, a lot of these characters are white dudes, and yeah, right. Not only did they make some of them female, but they made some of them people of color as well. Right. Yeah, I actually really liked uh, Lawrence Fishburne being cast as uh, Jack Crawford, which uh, you know uh, wasn't necessarily the safest thing to do since it's like, okay, well, we've already established in the movies uh, that he was a white guy. And so it's like, then they change it in the TV show. And it's like, uh, you know, people throw their hands up and, and cry foul all the time when that kind of thing happens. Uh, so, you know, uh, they, they were setting themselves uh, for, you know, sort of a, more, a rockier road by doing that. So, you know, I just, I, I applaud them for doing it. I mean, cause he's, he's been great in it. Um, I do have some issues with some of the other casting decisions. I mean, like, um, I mean, Mad Mickelson is great and, and, uh, the guy who played, or, and Hugh Dancy is great. Um, like, you know, some of the other casting, like, I, I don't love, like, Alana's like, okay, whatever, she's fine. Um, I, I didn't really like, um, the, uh, the people they cast in the, uh, the sort of forensics lab. Like, you know, so Scott Thompson, who's, uh, who's like hilarious, 
But like, I have a really hard time taking him seriously. Like, you know, he's he's the guy that that was in the forensic lab. He was, you know, he was from uh, Kids in the Hall. Um, yeah. And so it's like I found I really found it hard to take him seriously. And it's like I don't know, like almost they they almost didn't even make him play too seriously. Like they they were trying to do comic relief or something. And yeah, I don't know, just the three of them. I I wasn't quite sure what to make of those characters. Um, and uh, so yeah, and some of some of the other sport and cast too. Just like I felt like maybe weren't quite up to the same um, level. Although I I was actually really glad to see uh, Jillian Anderson in the show, and she and she's been quite good. And she's been, I mean, in this season in particular, I feel like she's been doing such a great job. Like, just the tiny, tiny bits of her performance, the way her hand quivers when she's holding a fork or something like that. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's wonderful because you can't figure out. I mean, observer participate. What is she doing? What, you know, what is going on there? How, how well does she still know herself? And I'm fascinated. Like, I just, I can't wait to see how that unravels. Yeah, I love that she's named after Daphne du Maurier. I think that's another one of those clever yes. nods that Brian Fuller does because, you know, she's one of my favorite writers and like writing of like the weird. And then here Julian Anderson is playing Hannibal's shrink. Like you can only get an actress of that power with that kind of genre baggage behind her, I think, to come on and have like the authority to be like, I am Hannibal Lecter's psychiatrist. Like, you know, I've got some stuff going on in my head, too. Right. Hmm. But I mean, John, you mentioned that the forensics people you don't always totally believe. And, and I would have to say that if I had to identify a, uh, an issue I have with the show overall, it's that I often just don't believe what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that there are these amazing dream sequences uh, that I think are just so stunning. But then a lot of times the sequences that aren't dream sequences feel like dream sequences to me because they, they just seem so surreal and like baroque and and implausible oh yeah for sure so i'm just i guess does anyone disagree with that or like how how does that affect your enjoyment of the show the the fact that everything kind of feels like a dream yeah i mean it's almost like a fantasy show i mean and you know i mean i think you know Teresa sort of alluded to that by using the word supernatural earlier but like yeah so much about it seems sort of almost fantastical that like i don't know i have a i have a hard time um you know uh, complaining too much about, um, you know, the sort of non-realistic aspects of it. Um, because I mean, I think almost, for a, almost any serial killer show, <laughs> if you're going to have a TV show, you, you're going to have to have some unrealistic aspects to it. Like, for instance, like, like on Dexter, it's like, well, how, how does he have enough time in the day to do everything that he does? <laughs> and like, and, and Lecter has the same thing. It's like, how does he have the time in the day to do that? Um, or any of the serial killers on the show that have, uh, you know, created these amazing tableaus like how did that guy have enough time to build that eye you know the eye made of people looking oh, up, yeah. you know like and which is amazing but i mean like how does a person have time to do that um we all have our hobbies <laughs> i love how everything on hannibal is really like a person it's like a human eyeball a human mushroom form a human beehive a human cello yeah it's amazing <laughs> i i also actually i think uh uh, because of that unreality that we have, like, I think that that's part of what, uh, helps it be so visually arresting. Um, you know, which, and we talked about some of the, the different tableaus, but like, uh, just in, in one of the season three episodes, there was like a scene of like a person sort of transforming into the stag or whatever. Like, that was so horrifying and gross. Yes, oh my god. Yeah, that was, yeah, really... like, dude, I was like, I can't believe this is on NBC. This is like on a network TV show. Like, um, yeah, so. <laughs> 
I, I mean, if if I had to decide between like, oh, I want a realistic show about serial killers versus uh, what we have here, and we have these like beautiful images and stuff, like I'll take this, you know. Yeah, I feel like at, at this point, I'm basically watching it as if it were a genre show. Like that's that's how it feels in my head. Um, and so the bits that you know, and the things that maybe would have bothered me in season one about you know, oh, I you know this this the suspension of disbelief is narrowing here. I, at this point, I'm just like, nope, this is all somewhere slightly to the side of where we live, and so it's fine. Right. Well, and I mean, like, Will Graham, I mean, he basically has superpowers, right? I mean, it's like... <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's not a Super person... Super empathy. Exactly. It's like, there's not a person alive that has empathy the way he has it and, and does what he does, at least as far as I know. I mean, that sounds like superpowers to me. Well, I mean, John mentioned the, the the horrifying heart. Did anyone find any of the scenes too much for them to take? Because I, I, I was fine pretty much all the way through the show where I didn't have to avert my eyes. But the part where the guy was carving off pieces of his face and feeding them to a dog. That for me, that was the part I just had to like, like hold my hand up in front of the screen for. I, uh, that was too much for me. Yeah, I was under the desk. <laughs> I know. And I was sitting there wondering, I'm like, did all of Will Graham's dogs, except for Winston, eat Nathan <laughs> Verger's face? And what did he do with those dogs? And we haven't seen them in season three. Do you keep the dogs that eat human faces? I don't know. <laughs> no, the dogs are fine. The dogs are fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was disturbing to me, but I can't, I watch a lot of horror movies. I can't say anything the cello guy did kind of <laughs> gross me out just thinking about what kind of music would that play and you know, I thought it was such a great image. Bach, he plays Yeah, Bach. I thought it was, I, I know, I mean, it was just like the sound of it and ooh, like the whole thing. Plus my best friend plays cello, so I immediately, <laughs> like she got hooked on this show. I had to send it to her. I'm like, hmm. like you have got to see this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious to see. I don't know, for some reason to me, nothing on Hannibal. A show about a cannibal um, feels as repugnant as some of the things going on on Game of Thrones. Like, there's just something less. No spoilers. No spoilers. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not spoiling any Game of Thrones things. I'm just saying, you know, Hannibal doesn't bother me on the same way that Game of Thrones does. Although I will say, Eddie Izzard eating his own leg. Hmm. was pretty good that was, that was like really nasty and funny <laughs> and oh my god the show gets the best guest stars yeah yeah um none of none of the stuff has bothered me either but i mean it's almost impossible <laughs> for anything to bother me exactly uh, in that way and it's like it's like yeah i'm like i'm like frying up some prosciutto and ham and stuff <laughs> to eat while i'm watching it just because i'm like oh it's like it's everything he ends up cooking almost like seems like it looks like that sort of visually like you know get some you know roast up some lamb or something you know have a nice cut little lamb while you're eating it i mean it's that's that's the way to do it actually i mean uh i mean i'm 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 exaggerating but it's like you know actually uh today i was re-watching some of the older episodes in preparation for the panel and it was like lunchtime so i like went and ate some lunch and it was like i can't even remember what the scene was but i was like oh wow this is like the most disgusting scene like ah uh, maybe lunch i should have waited a bit but um but uh, it was fine yeah i was actually joking on twitter a couple of weeks ago that like if i'm watching hannibal over dinner i always feel like i need to fix something really fancy to eat while oh yeah <laughs> um so you know my diet has actually improved <laughs> Actually, that's why that's why uh, I thought to that we should 
asked you if you wanted to be on the panel because I, I remembered seeing that tweet. I love so, it. So good job. <laughs> well, and I read like Janice Poon, who's the food stylist. I read her like oh, yes. wrap ups and you know how she puts everything together, and that is just the coolest. Oh, that's awesome! I didn't realize that that existed. <laughs> oh yeah, it's amazing. Like this behind the scenes peek at like you know like the how I made the fish eating its own tail. Yes, that and, like, one was here's so good. This, <laughs> you know, and here's the plating. I mean, this is why when I watch Hannibal, I'm like, how the hell does anybody not recognize that this guy is a cannibal? He decorates his meals with bones. <laughs> You're eating at a dinner table that's below a painting of a, a rape. I'm like, how do you not get that his name rhymes with cannibal? <laughs> yeah, but she's, she, it's part of the fun. She's uh, she's on Twitter as Feeding Hannibal. And yeah, and oh. she'll post like, you know, the, the breakdowns of everything. And it's so cool. Mm. Yeah. To, like from like the history of the sauces that she thinks Hannibal would use on different kinds of meats. And if it needs to be red or, you know, we're doing a Japanese theme this like last season. You know, I'm curious, this, you know. I'm Italian. I'm liking that this season is set in Italy, so I could see some really beautiful Italian food being presented. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys know this guy, Jose Andreas. He's the food. He's like the culinary yes. consultant for the show. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to eat at his restaurant in L.A. next month because I was so excited. I'm like, oh, Hannibal's on. Like, this will be our, our night, you know, to celebrate. Let's go to Jose Andreas because he doesn't have any restaurants here in New York. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm probably going to be obnoxious and <laughs> subtly tweet some pictures. It's <laughs> great. Very bad manners. Very bad. Oh, Hannibal would so eat me for that. <laughs> I hope he would make me into something with like foie gras and truffle, you know, <laughs> if I had to pick. Well, Teresa, you said that you uh, you really appreciate the fact that we're in Italy now for season three as a as someone of an Italian background. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Uh, just what do you, just say a bit more about Italy as a setting for the season? Well, what I like about Hannibal in a way is because it's not like Game of Thrones, like this adaptation, like the fans of Thomas Harris are not nearly as protective of the canon. So you could change enough around and change the timeline. I mean, you know, in after Silence of the Lambs, we had Hannibal and that's where Hannibal ran off to Italy to hide and Clary Starling joined him there. Here he's got, you know, Bedelia and... You know, it's just seeing like him away from his job, but still trying to like fit into a new culture, like just watching him try to like get hired for a job. <laughs> How would Hannibal go for a job interview? Oh, of course he would eat the person whose identity he wants. And, <laughs> you know, like, like the devil just insinuate himself in there. Um, and, you know, again, Du Maurier, like I think of Don't Look Now. So I was kind of hoping to see if maybe the two of them go to Venice and maybe run into like a little dwarf in a red coat, you know, things like that. Yeah. In addition to the extreme food porn mm -hmm. that is Italian food. And, I, you know, each season takes its episode titles from courses of a meal. So first season was French. Last season was Japanese. And now it's Italian. So I just I think it's fun. Food history. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of canon, uh, what, when I was watching the show, I think it was around episode six or so um, of the first season, where I was sort of trying to wrap my head around, like, how does the show fit into the canon? Because um, that's the episode where Jack Crawford brings in that trainee, Miriam, um, and, and you know, that all goes horribly awry. Uh, but I was like, well, so much of that episode borrows from Silence of the Lambs. I felt like 
Like, what is happening here? Like, is, is this supposed to be in the same universe as Silence of the Lambs as we know it? Or is this a complete inter- reinterpretation? Uh, and then later, it seems like Chilton is killed, uh, right? But then, I, I don't know, I think on the coming attractions for the last episode, it looks like he's not actually dead. Um, and like, right. Right? And so I was like, I saw him. Like, yeah. Hannibal doesn't kill anybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, like everybody at the, at the end of season two, uh, in the, in the finale of season two, like everybody lived for that apparently, including Alana, who got thrown out a window. Um, or at least it seems like from the trailer, right? I thought, I thought I saw her in there. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, but yeah, like Chilton, I thought for sure he was dead. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, then that answers my question about canon, uh, because obviously he was alive in Silence of the Lambs. Um, although actually speaking of casting though, like, wasn't, wasn't that guy like perfectly cast? It's like, oh, I mean, he's perfectly cast, uh, 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 in one way. And the other way, it's like, well, he's just doing like an Anthony Heald impression, which is the actor who plays Chilton in, um, Sons of the Lambs. It's like, he's, he's just mimicking him exactly. And so it's like, it, it, that kind of reinforces this idea like, oh, well, this is supposed to actually take place in the same universe as Sons of the Lambs. It's like, clearly that's the same character. And the guy is trying to channel that actor's performance uh, and bring it to the show. Uh, but then, you know, things end up differently anyway. So, Right. I don't think it's supposed to literally fit together with any of the other, yeah. you know, things. I mean, uh, Brian Fuller did say he had planned this out as a seven-season arc. And he said that season four would have been Red Dragon. Um, but it wouldn't have been literally Red Drag- right. Dragon because they've changed things and they've taken pieces of it. And like like the thing about Freddie Lowndes being set on fire in the wheelchair, um, mm-hmm. you know, they put mm-hmm. that in the show when it would have happened later and, and, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, they've had Will Graham say some lines directly from Red Dragon. Um, you know, I had to get inside his feelings. And, ugh, they're the ugliest feelings in the world. Like that line always just that stuck with me. And uh, Hugh Dancy delivered it really well. And so did uh William Peterson and Manhunter. Actually, you know, uh, it's funny that they don't have the, the rights to Silence of the Lambs because I was, I was sure that they actually had some lines that were directly from Silence of the Lambs, uh, at some point in the show. Maybe it was in that Miriam last episode, uh, you know, where I was feeling like that was, that was borrowing a lot from Silence of the Lambs. Um, they definitely make nods to it. Yeah. So it's just interesting that they're, they were allowed to use some of that stuff. Um, it, it, even if they don't have the rights to it. So yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, I'd, I'd have to go back and, like, rewatch those specifically to see if I could, you know, and then, like, compare it to the Sons of the Lambs or something, but, like, I, I don't care that much, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, well, no, it's interesting, John, because Brian Fuller said that he wanted to use Buffalo Bill, mm-hmm. um, but he couldn't because that's a character that originated in Silence of the Lambs, and so, and it's owned by MGM, and they're planning to do their own Clarice Starling show. Oh, really? And so he tried yeah. to make a deal with them, like... For a lifetime or something, <laughs> yeah. Oh. So he... So he tried to make a deal with them. Like, he's like, oh, I'll let you have Hannibal be writing letters to um, Clarice Starling in your show if you'll let me use Buffalo Bill in my show. And he begged and pleaded, but they, they didn't go for it. Ugh. But that just gives Aww. you a sense of what some of the limitations are as far as the yeah. intellectual property goes. Yeah. Yeah, I was really hoping we'd get to see some of those sessions between him and, uh, like, Benjamin Rustfeld and mm-hmm. stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, unfortunately. But, I mean, we get the Tooth Fairy. I'm excited to see what the Tooth Fairy might hold. And, I mean, I hope... I mean, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with Hannibal for a season four. But right now, I mean, Richard Armitage has been cast as the Tooth Fairy. Um, and so has, um, you know, Rutina Wesley from True Blood. She's been cast as Joan Allen's part in Red Dragon or Manhunter. 
Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful we'll get to see at least some of that Red Dragon storyline here because that was really interesting. And we've already seen the Tooth Fairy's early work in the very first episode. So it'd be nice if the very last episode still featured the Tooth Fairy. Although I have to say, like, the actor who played him in Manhunter, Tom Noonan, did such a great job. Way better than Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes was too campy. Um, Tom Noonan was just freaking weird. Like, really unsettling. So I'd like to see, uh, you know, an actor like Richard Armitage do it. You know, to go from being a dwarf to being someone so strong and so malevolent. I think it'll be really interesting. Well, hopefully Netflix or Amazon will pick it up and continue allow the series to continue. I hope so. I mean, it seems like the sort of show that would actually do better in that format. Um, I mean, that's how I watched season one was I just gobbled it up on, on Amazon Prime. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't have, you don't have gobbled it up. <laughs> uh, what's that? Yeah. Gobbled it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did that on purpose. Uh, no. um, yeah, no, I mean, but I mean, you know, you, you don't have the limitations of network TV and it's like, but I mean, you know, even though they canceled it, I mean, like props to NBC for like running this thing. Cause it's like, this, it's like, I, I always kind of laugh when I see the thing come up on, on the bottom of the screen, like the explicit content warning, whatever it says. I'm like, oh, no, really? Really? There's, there's going to be something horrifying in this episode? You don't say. Um, so it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, I mean, just props to them for even running this show and, and giving it, uh, you know, three seasons. Uh, I mean, uh, hopefully it can continue, but. Well, I mean, Kat, I saw you, you posted a thing on Twitter saying that season three was just amazing. Uh, is, do, is there anything else you want to say about season three and just what you like about it? And does, does it seem different to you from the first two seasons? Because it kind of does to me. It does to me, too. I feel mm -hmm. like it's sort of, you know, as I said earlier, I'm sort of watching this as a straight up genre show at this point. And to me, it feels like it's sort of, it feels like we're watching a really twisted fairy tale at this point. I mean, in the, in the most recent episode where, you know, you've got Will walking through the dark woods over towards a castle. And I was like, you made this episode just for me, didn't you, Brian Fuller? <laughs> you know? Um, and, the, and the line that, that he and Chio trade, all sorrows can be born if you put them in a story. And it, you know, like, I, I feel like we're watching a fairy tale right now. Um, but it also, the, the Italian setting and those beautiful, you know, all of the guilt and the churches and the art and the, Hannibal yelling out Dante across a crowded dinner party. I mean, like, to me, this, it's, this is my show this year. So that's, that's sort of why just the, the, this, the change in atmosphere has really just made it perfect for me. Well, and so Teresa, I mean, you, we mentioned that you've been reviewing this show for Boing Boing. Do you want to just talk about the experience of reviewing it and what sort of responses have you been getting to your reviews? Um, well, actually, Boing Boing has not been doing weekly TV reviews anymore. So I'm not currently reviewing it for Boing Boing. Um, last season was the first season I did it. Um, I didn't find as much of an interesting conversation on Boing Boing as I did on Twitter when I was retweeting my reviews each week because the Hannibal online community is so strong on Twitter, uh, Tumblr. They are rabid. They go after anything Hannibal related. So it's been a really nice way to you know, meet some friends, actually, you know, some real, like, you know, friendship is magic, cannibal, <laughs> you know. Did you have anyone disagree with any, disagree strongly with any of your reviews? Um, 
No, actually, people seem to be pretty, uh, you know, pretty much on the same page with regards to season two, like where it might have felt a little, you know, like a little frustrating or a little like mm, some of the seams are showing a little bit like where where it became hard, like you mentioned, to, you know, suspend, you know, some disbelief about like, come on, like how fast can you really freeze Beverly Katz and put her into slides? Like you, that takes some time. <laughs> come on. Now you're pushing it. You know, swallowing an ear, I could buy that. But like this, this is too much. Um, and what I'm finding now about Hannibal season three is it's feeling a little talky for me, I guess. Maybe a little stilted in a way. There's a self-awareness to the dialogue that wasn't quite there before. And I think that's because we have been spending so much time with Hannibal away from Will that he's not really relating to anybody as deeply right now. You know, Bedelia is kind of a cipher. We don't know entirely what she's up to. Is she, you know, is she a prisoner? Does she have Stockholm syndrome? Is she trying to get rescued? Does she desperately need help? We don't know. So watching the two of them talk to each other, it's interesting, but it doesn't give us that heart until this week's episode where Hannibal and Will did kind of run into each other. In a way, that's when it's been picking up for me, and I'm excited for next week, you know, like, seeing more of Jack and Alana. She's not my favorite character, but I do like what she brings out in Will. Um, yeah, I think last season a lot of people hated Alana for so quickly turning on Will and being stupid enough to fall in love with Hannibal. Um, maybe people are ready to forgive her now. Right. Well, I mean, that was that was very hard to believe. Just in general, people, you know, you've got your top criminal profiler telling you that this guy is a dangerous serial killer. And even if you think that guy's crazy, it seems like you might just want to have somebody, <laughs> you know, put, put Hannibal under surveillance or at, at the very least not be around him unarmed or naked or whatever. <laughs> you know? Just to be on the safe side, you know. Yeah, certainly don't eat what meals you prepare. <laughs> Yeah, and don't be there, like, putting, like, coconut oil on your skin and just, like, making it really easy for him, you know. <laughs> um, but you mentioned how much talking there is, particularly in season three. But I, I think there's there's a lot of talking just in the earlier seasons as well. And I heard Brian Fowler say that actually this show is kind of on a low budget. He says that they probably have about a million dollars less per episode than the average network show, mm. which you would mm. never know just based on how good the shows look. But yeah. I do feel that sometimes just how many... How, what the th the thing that really sticks out to me is how few transitional kind of shots they are. Like you never see characters traveling from one place to another. They mm -hmm. just kind of show up in Hannibal's <laughs> office or show up yeah. in different, yeah. you know, at Will's house or something. Mm -hmm. And that that kind of contributes to the the sort of dreamlike atmosphere to me, where it kind of feels like people are just kind of like popping in and out of existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the show was when Will was losing time, and of course. That was happening all the time with him when he was losing time. Is like he would show up and he wouldn't even know how he got there. But I mean, that was part of the plot. But that was so amazing. That was so well done. Like I was so like just sort of wrapped up in that and like how disorienting that would be. They did a really great job of of portraying that. You know, like I think the epitome of that was like when it's like he's talking to Abigail and he like wakes up on a plane and it's like he doesn't. You know, he he just didn't even had no idea where he was, and and so. Uh, but I, I thought that was really, uh, I thought that was really well done and great. Um, 
But you mentioned uh, how people, they, they just show up at Hannibal's office. Like, can we talk for a minute about Hannibal's office? <laughs> my God. Like, does everyone else want that office? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, ready, oh to, my God. I, I'm ready to kill and eat some people if I can get that office. I, those curtains. So fun. <laughs> I, screw the curtains. The library. That, you know, like, he's got that wonderful office downstairs, and then he's got that little upstairs, like, sort of balcony library thing, whatever. That's amazing. I want that. Just everything about him is, it's, it's like aspirational. It's so weird <laughs> compared to when you see him as, you know, Anthony Hopkins, Dr. Lecter, you don't see how like ostentatious mm-hmm. and like rich and defined by his consumerism, like Hannibal is. Like Hannibal is a man of good taste, like expensive taste. Very expensive and, taste. You know, I mean, it's just so like looking at Hannibal and like the show plays into it, you know, by giving like Mads Mikkelsen like, an Esquire spread, like, look at his, you know, Windsor knots and this, like, Prince whatever check pattern that we've brought out, and the wine, and, the, you know, it's just, like, from a consumer standpoint, it's so interesting to watch, like, that's how he creates his persona, but, like, it's just, it's hard to relate to in a way. He has an extremely expensive person suit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because apparently Mads Mikkelsen doesn't care about fashion at all, and he just wears <laughs> sweatpants all the time. <laughs> That's awesome. But if you look at Brian Fuller's, I just looked at his Twitter, and he's wearing like a ah. a, a three piece plaid uh, suit like that. And I don't know if that's if he has just started doing that after Hannibal, or if that's just the way he was dressing beforehand. But I do wonder how much of that is just his personal mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great visual look. Like all the women look beautiful. I mean. Julian Anderson just looks amazing. Like a like this season especially, she looks like a 1940s film star mm-hmm. with the hats and oh the hair, like the pin curls. Oh my god! I, I like that. I like that Hannibal's fashion is so important to him that uh, that when he goes to put on his like serial killing suit, he actually has a clear suit that he puts over his <laughs> his actual clothes so that he can still look very stylish and yet not wear something that can get a ruined or be uh contaminated with evidence you know um, i mean i don't know how effective that that little clear suit would actually be uh but but it's it's kind of a cool little detail that they threw in there um and it's like if dexter got lazy he's like yeah. i'm just gonna wear a plastic suit instead of doing the whole room well it, it, it's funny because there's a part where they're they're like hannibal we need you to turn over your whole wardrobe to us so we can search it all for hairs and stuff like that mm. and you know, that must be like 500. I just imagine they must be like a, like a U-Haul, like, like a fleet of U-Haul trucks to carry his yeah. whole wardrobe in. But also, I mean, he never wears the same suit twice. So maybe right. that's, you know, like, maybe that's part of the thing. You know, he just th- throws, he wears each of those suits for one day and then he throws it out and then he doesn't need to worry about anyone collecting any evidence off of it. Yeah. How much does he charge an hour? Yeah. For his <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, well, it can't be that much. How? I mean, otherwise, how could the FBI afford to have him on retainer, you know? <laughs> I doubt the FBI uh, has a huge budget for outside consultants like that. But they, you know. But anyway, um, but you know, speaking of the budget of the show, though, I actually kind of wondered, like, you know, uh, you know, Teresa and I both complained that, um, you know, sort of, we have a hard time understanding uh, Hannibal sometimes, and it's like, um, I wonder if part of the budgetary, if, if that's sort of a budgetary function, that if the show had a bigger budget, you know, some of those lines that are de- delivered that aren't quite enunciated uh, enough for us to be able to just understand it very clearly. Maybe they would have reshot those those scenes, um, you know, mm. or had him do a couple takes and and you know get a better one. 
Oh, that's a good point. I wonder about that because their sound design normally is so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, can we all just like cringe for a minute at the sound of that tube going down Will's throat as he was fed oh. the ear like a frog rod duck? That was amazing. <laughs> like in its terribleness. Yeah, and the and the soundtrack generally contributes to the sort of tension and and everything mm-hmm. else. Yeah, whoever uh, Brian Reitzel who's composing and sound designing is just clearly a, a evil genius of things. <laughs> I love that they had Hannibal playing his theremin. I mean, that's like a little line in the books, and I'm like, oh my god, what an image, and like, what a noise. We could get like a band, we could get like a speculative fiction band together, like you get Hannibal Lecter on the on the theremin, you get uh, Jean-Luc Picard on his little alien flute thing, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what other, I don't know what other ones would be good, but you know, those two came to mind, that would be a good start. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like they would have a lot to talk about too. Like they both really like literature. Yeah, and yeah, music. no. They, I think they I get think along. They, very I think well. they get along pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, Captain Picard could use the replicator to just make lungs and you know hearts <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> oh, you know, the twenty fourth century would be perfect for Hannibal. He'd never have to kill anyone. He could just—I mean, he still would, but you know. <laughs> well, you know what. The replicator food is not going to be sophisticated enough for him. You know, it would, I'm sure it doesn't, it's not the same as like having freshly butchered whatever. You know, it's not going to, yeah, no, he would still kill people. Did you guys know that Brian Fuller is a gigantic Star Trek fan and he started, he got his career start on um, Deep Space Nine and Voyager? Uh, yeah, no. he was actually, um, he was behind uh, uh, one of these attempted uh, like Star Trek uh, TV show revivals recently that sounded very exciting and then never went anywhere. Yeah, he said like he would drop anything else to be able to do a Star Trek show. Huh. I would drop anything else to watch him do a TV show. Like, come on, like get get him to do. I mean, he's gonna go off and do American Gods now for stars. So um, yeah, you know, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss Hannibal. But uh, but yeah, you know, um, I, I would definitely sign up for Brian Fuller's Star Trek show. Well, what if you guys heard about this American Gods TV show? Not very much. I thought originally it was going to be on HBO, and that was kind of the last time I had I had followed it. Yeah, and that fell apart a couple of years ago, I think. And then um, it just stars picked it up for a straight to series order. Um, and the announcement has been very much that Fuller is absolutely committed to uh, maintaining the to not whitewashing the book, which I am really excited about. Um, and has shown some of the concept artwork, which, again, I think we're going to get the same sort of really visually gorgeous tone. So I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm more interested in watching, you know, I, I enjoyed American Gods, but I'm definitely more interested in watching it now that Brian Fuller is behind it. And I do like stars because I think they're a pretty good network and they allow showrunners some flexibility and creativity that a network might not. I mean, Stars is the network that brought us Spartacus, which was actually an amazing show once you got past the first four episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I was very surprised that HBO ended up not picking it up because it's like it sounded like all the stars had aligned for that. And it's like they seemed like the best network for it. And, uh, you know, they're they're riding high on the success of Game of Thrones. And uh, it just seemed like a natural move for them to make. And so I was um, I was a little, uh, confused about them not picking it up, and, uh, so I was like, oh, geez, was, was something, like, wrong with the adaptation or whatever? Was, like, you know, that, that we, uh, you know, you wouldn't see until you actually see a script or something, but, 
Um, hopefully it's going to be a, a good adaptation. I mean, you know, uh, like you guys, I have a lot of faith in Brian Fuller. So, um, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, from from everything that I've seen and heard, um, it looks like people are really excited about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it's going to come down to casting uh, Shadow. Yes, you know, mm-hmm. like because that's going to be such a hard role to cast, and it's and it's just going to going to it's going to or it's going to live and die by that casting to some degree. I think so. I think that's actually the current hashtag is casting Shadow. So, oh. <laughs> 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 Well, so this announcement, it says that Brian Fuller is an executive producer along with Michael Green, who did Heroes, I guess. I don't know if anyone knows anything about... Any, does anyone know anything about him or have any thoughts on the Heroes uh, connection? I know that Heroes sucked. <laughs> I know. He- Heroes, I, I have a public blog post on Tor.com where I rage quit the <laughs> during the course of... I'm actually really proud of it, like, making that public decision to completely renounce anything to ever have to do with heroes ever again in this reboot of heroes like even hearing the music (laughs) that's also an nbc show right Mm -hmm. so they've been showing little previews of heroes coming to nbc and you hear that little piano chord i'm just like oh no like a visceral reaction (laughs) like hannibal should eat (laughs) take that horned rim glasses man (laughs) no all right, cool. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much all our time. Uh, I hope, Teresa, do we manage to cover Hannibal uh, to your satisfaction? Did, did, did this live up to all your uh, all your hopes for a Hannibal discussion? <laughs> I think discussion? so, although I would like to hear other, you know, I would like to hear what dish people would like to be made into if they were to get eaten. <laughs> and I would also like to hear um, which episodes people thought were their favorites. Uh, well, I'll say my favorite. I, I think my favorite is definitely, like, the finale of season two. That's just like so crazy town, you know, just so much action <laughs> happening and so much flipping the script on, on the, where the show had been heading and uh, like, you know, it's like resetting everything. Like there was so so much change happened in that episode and, and so many cool scenes and everything. Um, yeah. That's, that's probably my favorite. Um, although the, the, Oh, we should definitely talk about though. One of my other favorites was the, the episodes with that girl who thought she was dead. Um, the, yes, the that co- was going to be one of my favorites. The Cotard syndrome or whatever. Like, what the hell? That's a thing. That was <laughs> that was really interesting. And like, like when oh god, when when Will grabs her arm and like her skin just comes off like a glove. Like <laughs> that, that was that might have been the grossest thing that I, I I actually like for me that was the grossest thing on the show. Uh, maybe, but um, but yeah, let's see. Like, uh, what would I be turned into? Like, I, I don't know. Like, see, like I'm not a foodie, so like I. I honestly right. couldn't even tell you anything. Like Hannibal, he wouldn't even want to eat me because I have such <laughs> an unrefined palate. I would probably taste disgusting. So, all right, now isn't like uh, Bedelia? She's just eating like oysters yeah. and acorns <laughs> right now. Yeah, to make herself taste better. I'm like, oh, <laughs> girl, <how are> you <laughs> Bedelia, you in danger, girl. <laughs> don't, don't. Uh, Kat, do you want to mention any uh, favorite episodes? Well, like I said, I think right now, I think my, my favorite episode is probably the most recent one, season three, episode three, um, just because there was just so many of the, the little details in there that were hit all my favorite spots. I don't know. I think, well, what, what, what meal would I be? I think I would like to be some sort of a dessert. Mm, Hannibal doesn't make many desserts. That would be a good challenge. Exactly. I want to be difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I like like John. I'm I'm not a foodie at all. I never buy any meal that costs more than twenty dollars. So I, I I have no idea what 
what any of those things are. Uh, but I do have a list of my favorite episodes because John actually, because uh, I just watched the whole show this week. And so John asked if I could make a list of my favorite ones so he could maybe rewatch some of them. So I can actually tell you I had seven favorite episodes. <laughs> ah. uh, episodes 10 and 12 in season one. And then episodes two, four, six, nine, and 13 in season two. So if anyone wants to watch all my favorite episodes. <laughs> Those are them. Nice. Ten was the one with the the girl with Cotard syndrome, which I also liked because Ellen Muth played the girl, uh, Georgia Madchen. So it's like Georgia Lass, which is something like Brian Fuller keeps doing these like in universe in jokes. So that's a nod to Dead Like Me, where the same actress played a girl who was dead and had come back to Earth as a Grim Reaper. So then again, here's that flip side of Brian Fuller's vision. Where she is like this completely fucked up girl with this mental condition and skin slip and oh it was horrible. She's <laughs> hiding under your she's hiding under your bed right now. No, 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 no. <laughs> no she's not just the cat ears. <laughs> That's interesting too, that Lass and Machen uh, you know, Machen means young woman or something like that in mm -hmm. German and Lass yeah. so it's oh. Lass. So hmm. And then let's see, what are some of the, like, I, I, we haven't mentioned um, the uh, the werewolf guy, the bionic werewolf guy. I really liked that episode. That one gave oh, me Oh, that nightmares. one was really good. <laughs> yeah, that animal was creepy. The, I thought the mushroom people were really creepy in, early in the first season. Yeah. I never seen anything like that. Um, I also thought one of my other favorite ones was probably uh, the beehive, the human beehive. Yes. And the fact that it was Amanda Plummer, a.k.a. Honey Bunny from Pulp Fiction, is turning people into beehives out of, you know, this misguided sense of empathy and mercy. Oh, it was so good. The other visual that I really uh, appreciated was the, the woman who, where the bird flies out of her chest. Mm -hmm. Ah, that was, that yeah. was really great. And that was, yeah, that's another one of those, like, supernatural... You know, like Hannibal becomes supernatural. Right? Because how do you do kind that? Kind of moments. <laughs> you don't. You can't. Well, you <laughs> can't. The devil can. Hannibal can. I'm like sitting there like, okay, so even if I were a serial killer, how do I pull this one off? <laughs> well, you mentioned the woman from Pulp Fiction. You also had um, several of these people are played by comedians, uh, like Eddie Izzard and um, Molly mm -hmm. Shannon, stick in my mind. Oh, the Molly Shannon. That was the one that was banned from TV. Oh, really? Yeah, they never aired it on TV because it was about child killers. And I'm trying to remember um, what there was a, a news event. It was a shooting oh God, was of some kind. Was, like, was, it, was it right after Sandy Hook, maybe? Or am I, is my chronology? Uh, yeah, it looks like it was. Yeah, I think it was a, like a little bit after Sandy Hook. And they just felt like children murderers i mean it's like the kids were murdering though so at her command she had like an evil army of children so yeah it never aired on tv you know and i thought what was cool about that you know other crime procedural shows really do make a point of having women as the victims over and over and brian fuller has been so fiercely against that which i think is another reason why his audience with women is so popular and he recognizes that a big portion of his audience is female so he's not going to show sexual violence he does not do that explicitly 
sometimes it's implied and he says with the tooth fairy it likely will be like you could read between the lines but they're not going to linger over it and what i liked about hannibal as well is that sometimes women are killers like there's honey bunny there's molly shannon you know there's uh georgia madchen and abigail hobbs you know like really well done female murderers right you know there's bedelia what is she complicit in you know it's it's great so I guess there was nothing in that Molly Shannon episode that you needed to see to make sense of any of the other episodes? Not really. There was a little scene where um, Hannibal and Abigail cooked together. And actually, that is where um, Abigail dropped a teacup and you see it shatter on the floor. And that did become a metaphor. Like you could watch some of those scenes online. You know, if you were following along on social media, those were the parts that weren't pertinent to the overall plot that teacup shattering and then, you know, Hannibal trying to put it back together in his very fucked up way. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the only thing. Yeah. And I mean, if you watch it on Amazon now or whatever, it's like the episode is there now. Yes. So, so it's just, it didn't air on, on regular television. Yeah. That's how I ended up watching it on Amazon prime. Um, the other guest star I loved on Hannibal was uh, Jack Crawford's wife, Bella. Oh, Gina yeah. Torres. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, how good is she? Amazing. So mm-hmm. great. You know, her, her big, you know, linchpin episode was great where with her cancer diagnosis and coming to Hannibal for health and the way Hannibal uses her condition as a way. And I think that's why Jack Crawford felt so betrayed by Hannibal because he was manipulating a situation where he knew like that night that Jack was supposed to be with Bella and taking care of her, going to the hospital, like to use you know, your spouse's illness against you and your spouse's impending death against you. Like, that's such a betrayal. I think he has more reason to want to kill him than maybe even Will does. And I wanted to mention, John was talking earlier about the decision to cast Lawrence Fishburne and what a good decision it was. And I I totally agree with that because he's such a good actor. And some of the things that Jack Crawford, some of the situations Jack Crawford is in in this are so hard to believe. Um, (laughs) But Lawrence Fishburne just always delivers every line with such conviction mm-hmm. uh, i think you really need an actor like that in that role given the yeah. some of the crazy uh, plot twists plus watching hannibal fight morpheus was awesome. <laughs> like just on its own like oh my god lawrence fishburne still has it oh, i'm just looking at the upcoming episodes um episode uh eight is called the great red dragon and it's directed by neil marshall oh Oh my god so i think (laughs) yeah i am so ready for that you know neil marshall directed uh dog soldiers the descent doomsday um and then the blackwater episode of game of thrones you know this is really exciting i just learned this and like this is going to be fun the season's only going to get better (laughs) Okay, so sorry. So at this point, we're definitely are we definitely getting a season four, or is that is no. that no? Uh, no, we're not. Like this is supposed to be the end. We, we will get we'll get the entirety of season three for sure. Right, yeah. right. And if we're lucky, maybe we'll get more. If we're lucky, maybe somebody else will pick it up. I mean, I am surprised that NBC kept it around this long because its ratings have not been good from the start, and it's been very frustrating and disappointing. Like. The ratings for Hannibal on NBC are good for an HBO show, 
they're terrible for NBC. And it, I don't think it helped that last year they put them on a Friday night. That's the death slot. Yeah, you know, and I had hoped that moving it back to Thursday night would help. But once you've already done all that damage, it's just so hard to say. Um, yeah, very disappointing. And I don't think NBC really understands the kind of show that they have. I don't think they, under, like many big companies, I don't think they understand social media and their fan base and how they use social media. I don't think they've been as helpful to the Hannibal fandom. You know, I think De Laurentiis and company and Brian Fuller have been very active in the fan community. NBC has been very hands off with it. And that affects things like panels, publicity, press screenings, um, press questions you know, media events. I don't think NBC really understood what they were getting in this show. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think uh, it sort of highlights the failure of the network model that you can have a show like this that's as excellent as it is and has this passionate fan base, uh, but all they're basing their decision on is literally just like the same old Nielsen ratings bullshit that, you know, we've been using for 50 years or whatever. And it's like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of money that goes into these things and they're, and, you know, they're trying to figure out, like, how to make the most money off their shows and everything. But it's like, man, like, how good does something have to be to stay on the air despite, like, poor ratings? And it's like, at some point, you have to kind of look at yourself and you'd be like, well, maybe it's not the failure of the show. It's the failure of the marketing or whatever. And, like, you know, it doesn't seem like they tried very hard to, to course correct, you know? You know, I didn't see any campaigns or anything to, to try to, you know, like, well, like, and that, you mentioned social media. It's like, why, why doesn't the network let people know that it's on, on the verge of extinction and that, you know, hey, you need to do something if you're going to, um, you know, keep your show alive. But, you know, it's instead they just drop the axe and then, um, I mean, I guess, uh, maybe, maybe they're going to rely on like, oh, okay, well, we're going to wait and see if people like send a bunch of angry letters in protest or whatever. But well, I mean, this isn't the first. Sadly, this isn't the first time where the fate of Hannibal has been kind of up in the air. And I think they did listen at least to some of social media a little bit. Um, there's an account, um, at tattle underscore crime, Freddie Lowndes. You know, it's, it's a woman who runs contests, sweepstakes, tweeting back and forth with Brian Fuller and bloggers. I think she does more for the community. Than certain people at NBC, she understands more what their what the fandom is about and how to like galvanize them, you know. And they did it for season to get a second season because it was up in the air very much. This time, I don't think uh, I don't think they have that fight in them. They might want to, but I think I think the fandom wants it to go to another network that would do better by it. Even or or Netflix something. I, I mean, I heard Brian Fuller say in an interview this was a year or two ago, but he said that if NBC dropped them, that he had had offers from two or three other networks or organizations to pick it up. So I don't know if that's still the case, but you know there was interest in it from other parties uh, not too I long ago. I certainly hope so. They've done it for the killing. I don't see why they couldn't do it for Hannibal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of shows have have had that happen. So and lesser shows than Hannibal. Yeah, I think it was the De Laurentiis company's official Twitter account. I think I saw something today somewhere. I saw something with something associated that said they were actively seeking options for another oh, good. network. So, yeah, 
fingers crossed. It's such a great show. And I would really like to see Brian Fuller, you know, even if he's got American Gods now, how involved in Hannibal would he be and how would that change things? I do want to see what he had in, had in mind leading up to, you know, the real capture of Hannibal and, right. you know, where, where it could go. It'd be such a shame. Yeah. I mean, it just happens to me too much with TV shows I love. I, I never forgave David Milch and Deadwood. Yeah. You know, I think I, I would always have a Hannibal-shaped hole in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. So I think that's a good note to end on. So I think we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Teresa DeLucci and Kat Howard and John Joseph Adams. So guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Back. Thanks for having me. Thanks for watching the show. <laughs> now I don't have to bug you anymore <laughs> about this show. I'll find more. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Kat Howard, and Teresa DeLucci for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Robert H. Watson in the UK, who writes, I came across this podcast purely by accident, but I'm glad I did. It always has intelligent discussions with interesting people and treats science fiction with the seriousness and appreciation that true science fiction fans do. The interview style is very refreshing as they actually allow the interviewees time to articulate and consider their answers and responses. So, big thanks again to Robert H. Watson for that great review. And also a special thank you to Clifford Sherman, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So, if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com geeks. And if you'd prefer to make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, Visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening. <laughs>